We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. And Sunday night in Tampa Bay was the Timberwolves' seventh win of the season, a 116-112 win over the Raptors. Carl Anthony Towns is back for the Wolves, and games are starting to make more sense. It doesn't necessarily mean for 48 minutes. Uh, the end of this one was a little rough. Uh, it was not 48 minutes. The fourth quarter was was very rocky. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but just from a basketball standpoint, I think that's you know, that's where we're feeling the difference with Cat. I mean, everything the Wolves do makes far more sense when they have a player like Cat, who is a you know a floor spacer, a post up threat, and someone who's you know big enough to be a real rim defender. I know we we, we say this all the time, but everything the Wolves are are set up to do is is built around having a player who checks those boxes, and and we're starting to see that here. It's not even like Cat is, is is setting anything on fire right now. I mean, he he had he had twenty and eleven tonight, which is you know fairly pedestrian by his standards. But but when you have that player on the floor, what the Wolves are running actually makes sense. You know they they run an offense. You know with Cat or without Cat, we've seen that is just almost entirely predicated on forcing the defense to collapse and then to stretch back out. I mean that is the that is the stated goal of a of a spread offense. I mean, and without Cat, the, the Wolves are trying to do that, but they just, you know, clearly did not have the the personnel that could force it to happen. I mean, without Cat collapsing the defense with his post ups, right, like bringing in a double, or by stretching it back out to the three point line, I mean, the only way the Wolves personnel could even try to do that was by penetrating and kicking. That's why the offense was so often Edwards, Russell, or Rubio just driving into the lane and shooting. You know, they they were trying to cause that collapse to happen by making the defense respect their drive. But teams, 
you know, I mean, just basically dared them to punish them with penetration. You know, they would say, you know, make a couple on us before we start adjusting to collapse. And, you know, I think we, we saw this play out with with all the main guys. Like, what, what did it what did it look like for D'Lo? You know, it was it was driving in and pulling up from mid range, right? He's trying to he's trying to force that collapse. You know, sometimes Dilo would knock down a few of those and the defense would react, but but more often than not, like Dilo wasn't powerful enough in that action to cause a shift. And Dilo shooting forty one percent from mid range, fifty nine percent at the rim. I mean, both of those are below league average. So so if you're the defense, you haven't been forced to shift, right? And the same thing goes for Rubio. It's, it was even worse. Like. What did that look like when Rubio tried to penetrate? He looked like misses near the basket. I mean, Rubio shooting 50% at the rim this year, which is way below league average. And he's shooting 27% in that little floater range where he takes those mini jumpers. I mean, that's almost as bad. It's almost as bad as it gets. And it's the same thing for Edwards too, right? Like, what did it look like when he tried to penetrate? I mean, the Wolves would try and get him going downhill, but defenses would just drop their big all the way back to the rim. You know, and that was Jared Allen or Chris Tapps or Zingas. And Edwards was forced to shoot through them. And often that was ineffective. Edwards is also only shooting 50% at the rim. And he's also only shooting 30% from mid-range. Just none of the Wolves' players could cause the defense to react to their penetration. And if that's the case, like, a spread offense is just fruitless. Like, yes, obviously Malik Beasley, while this was happening, he was having big games with Cap, but it's almost the... That almost makes the point, like... The way, the way Malik plays, it doesn't cause the defense to recoil, right? Malik isn't a penetrator. He's the guy you kick it out to after you cause that penetration. The Wolves don't the Wolves don't run an offense that causes the defense to gravitate to shooters. They don't use Beasley like, you know, like Kyle Korver on the Hawks back in the day. There's, it's not, it's not the main thing they're going for. Which I obviously people can, you, we can make arguments for that, and maybe they should lean more into it, but. During the 20 catless games, they were still running a spread pick-and-roll offense that was meant on putting penetration at the middle. And, and that's why with Beasley, yeah, he had he had eight games that he scored over 25 points this year. And there's a reason the Wolves are 0-8 in those eight games. I mean, that's not his fault. Bleak's doing his job, but that role in a spread offense is tertiary. When Malik, when Malik was hitting his shots, it's not like they weren't valuable. They got points, and of course we want points, but they don't they don't cause the defense to shift. Because if you're a defense, you you shift in response to the action, not the result. Right? That's that's why we're seeing with Cat, when Cat gets going, it's it's bonus points. You know, a cat hook shot on the block that causes the defense to bring a double team the next time. If he's gonna catch them on the block again, right? And that causes an advantage for the rest of his teammates. You got the double and it's a kick out. Now we got a four on three situation that leaves because someone else is open. The same thing goes for a made three by Cat on a pick and pop. As we saw tonight, when you run a pick and pop with Cat and Ant, and Cat's able to make a three, you know, the next time you run that, the defense is going to bring a third player in to defend the pick and roll. And there, now there are three guys defending the Wolves' two man pick and roll action. So that creates another advantage, a three and two advantage elsewhere. Swing, swing, that should be a clean shot. You know, these these bonus points, they show up even when Cat isn't scoring. This is the this is the advantage we're talking about when we hear people say, you know, hockey assists or getting the defense to shift. You know, Cat's presence 
in the action, he, he makes that happen. You know, it's not a coincidence that tonight Anthony Edwards shot six of eight from two-point range. I mean, how many times have we come on here this year and been like, all right, Ant had 20, but he was like four of 13 from two. You know, it's, it's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that Ricky Rubio had 16 points and arguably his best game of the season in a game that Cat played in. And it's not a coincidence that Jared Vanderbilt on the floor tonight, you know, his presence didn't suffocate the Wolves spacing. Teams guard the other players different when Cat is out there. You have to. So that's what I want to focus on tonight. Um, I want to I want to get into how Cat, you know, as an example, I think those players serve a good example. I want to get into how Cat makes those players make sense. Edwards, Vanderbilt, and Rubio. So let's start with Edwards. Um, I thought this was an interesting response from Cat postgame, just talking about, you know, what happens when Edwards is able to be a playmaker. Ant had the ball in his hands a lot. Um, and just curious your thoughts on what you've seen from him really this whole season, but then tonight in particular as well as a young guy that's finding his way and, and making plays, you know, getting buckets, setting you up as well. What do you see from him overall? Yeah, uh, this team believes in Ant so much and sees the potential and the greatness he has in him and, uh, even for me, I've told Ryan that I, I believe we need to get the ball in Ant's hands more. And I think tonight is one of those nights you see uh, me and Ryan's conversations. Um, I think Ant is a is an underrated playmaker, and he's really good at um, obviously causing mayhem in the paint and getting to the paint and, and making people collapse. And he makes the right plays um, a lot of the time. So uh, it's always great to have him as a bona fide bucket getter. But his ability to playmake for others is uh, underrated and uh, I think tonight you saw a lot of that, even with three assists, uh, the hockey assists he caused, the, the the collapsing of the defense into the paint he caused. Uh, it was fantastic. It was just fantastic. That playmaking that Kat's talking about and the playmaking we saw tonight, I mean, in a weird way, I'm watching that happen, and I see that one you know, that I referenced before, that, that pick and pop, and it got me it got me thinking about like the pre-draft process and, and the mellow ball, right? Like the case for the Wolves – drafting LaMelo, you know, months ago, like delete everything we know now, but months ago when it was November and, and before we knew anything about them, like the, the idea, the idea was that LaMelo and the Wolves offense, the offensive scheme we knew that they were going to play with, the idea was that he would, he would unlock, he would unlock something in the heart of the defense through his creation. You know, the idea was LaMelo would, specifically next to Cat, he would force the defense to defend pick and rolls with three players. You know, it's what I was just saying before. He would drag two defenders off a of Cat screen, and a third defender would have to come and try and take Cat away. That's advantage after advantage, you know, that three-on-two thing. And, again, the argument for LaMelo was, was the fact that that felt, that playmaking, it felt more bankable for Ant. Because Ant, like, in college, we, we saw him, he operated more as an isolation player. I mean, it's not that he... It's not that he wasn't a passer at all at Georgia. I mean, we saw some of the live dribble stuff, but there was a reason he was, you know, rightly kind of labeled from his film as a volume shooting shooting guard. And, you know, with that, that's what led people to say, you know, why, why the hell did they draft Edwards if they they were going to sign Malik Beasley? Or why did they sign Beasley if they were going to draft Edwards? I mean, there, there seemed to be overlap between the player we saw Malik Beasley be in the player that Anthony Edwards was at Georgia. But what we've seen play out in the NBA, actually, as those two as teammates, is you know, we've seen Edwards as much more of a playmaker than anticipated, and that Beasley is 
way more of an off-ball guy. I wouldn't say they have much overlap at all. If anything, the, the player ants game is seeming to overlap with is D'Angelo Russell. And I'm sure you know that's only going to stoke the fire for those who want to like trade D'Lo or whatever. But the reality of the situation is that doesn't make sense. Is If you are running a spread offense, you do want multiple players who can collapse the defense through penetration. Now, we've obviously seen it that be wonky with Ant and D'Lo earlier this year, but it's also important to remember they haven't played with Cat. I mean, they've played; those two have played 297 minutes together this season, Ant and D'Lo, and only 20 of the, 21 of those minutes have been with Cat also on the floor. 21 minutes, Cat, D'Lo, and Ant on the floor. I mean, there's an argument to be made that the Wolves might benefit from Ant and D'Lo sharing the floor because of the overlap they have. I mean, the same thing is happening in Charlotte. That's what Gordon Hayward's their primary playmaker, and he's having a near all-star level year in that role while LaMelo is thriving simultaneously. Like, this works. Multiple playmakers works. Moving on, let's get into some specifics from tonight's game, and I think a good place to start there is with Jared Vanderbilt moving into the starting lineup over Josh Okoge. And, I mean... When was the last time a true big started next to Cat? I mean, it's been, it's been a while. Um, so we'll get into that, but first a quick break. Yeah. What's up, everybody? Hey. We have something to tell you about here at Blue Wire, and that is that we love sports betting. And whether you've been betting for a while or you're thinking about getting started, we want to let you know uh, great resources for sports bettors, and that's the Action Network. The Action Network is where sports fans go to bet smarter and experience real financial gains. In fact, their Action Network app was recently named the best app in sports betting. And with an Action Network Pro subscription, you can unlock the very best of the app. When you sign up for an Action Pro, Action Network Pro subscription, you can access the Pro Report, which includes expert projections for every game. You can see money and bet percentages on every game. You can see the teams professional gamblers are betting on. You can take advantage of pro systems which match winning historical betting trends with the latest games and lines you can track every bet you make and get alerts in real time so if you're looking to bet smarter an action network pro subscription is the way to get started and for a limited time our listeners can receive 50 percent off an annual pro subscription just go to actionnetwork.com and receive 50 percent off an annual subscription when you use the code more 50 m-o-o-r-e-5-0 this offer won't last, so go to actionnetwork.com to sign up for a pro subscription and use promo code MORE50 to receive 50% off and start betting smarter today. So before tonight's game, Cat and Vanderbilt had only shared the floor for 14 of Cat's 194 minutes this season. Meaning, right, that Cat had been surrounded in the front court in previous games by Josh Kogi for 123 minutes. Wancho for 46 minutes, or Jake Lehman, remember 27 minutes when, when Jake was starting at Power Forward at the beginning of the year. And I think everyone was, you know, ready to acknowledge that the whole Okogi at Power Forward thing just wasn't working, you know, because he was he was still being used on the perimeter and just not getting guarded or making anything happen. So everyone was ready for a shift, but I think that the shift in the starting lineup that we all thought was coming was McDaniels for Okogi. But, I mean... I think if we just look at this one game in a vacuum and you look at Toronto's lineup, the Vanderbilt start, you know, I think that makes some sense on paper over McDaniels, right? Like, 
it's about the Pascal Siakam matchup. And while like I, I definitely think Okogie and McDaniels are probably the Wolves' best, you know, perimeter defenders in isolation, but you know, Siakam is a he's a powerful isolator. Like he basically isolates his way into the post, and then you got to guard him with kind of some strength there. So in tonight's in that that vacuum like of this game, Vanderbilt made sense as the best option on Siakam, and Vanderbilt did a solid job on him. I mean, Siakam only had 12 points on four of 11 shooting through the first three quarters of the game. Then it was weird. I mean, kind of out of nowhere, both Vanderbilt and McDaniel's are on the bench to start the fourth quarter. And Wancho is in on Siakam. And as Toronto does, they just went at the matchup over and over again for three minutes until Saunders pulled Wancho. When I was thinking when, when Siakam was going at Wancho, I mean, you could kind of, you knew a change was coming. And I was kind of thinking, well, if McDaniels isn't out there right now with the second unit, then that must be because Saunders is saving him to close the game. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> McDaniels closing lineup. Nice, nice. But then... But then Vanderbilt is the one who comes in for Wancho. And and it was still kind of like for the next few minutes, it was, it was a little shaky. And I think at that point, the, the Raptors took the lead back after the Wolves were like previously up by eight or nine or something like that. And, you know, so I was I was ready to do my whole, you know, Saunders screwed up the rotation thing on the pod. But, but then as you played it out, I mean, the Vanderbilt thing really worked in the fourth quarter. And the Wolves got going. Um, and it was because with Vanderbilt and because of Vanderbilt. But the interesting part to me was that, you know, Vanderbilt helped them on offense. My my thinking of, you know, why I thought they would go McDaniels or why they should go with McDaniels was because, you know, I thought of McDaniels and Vanderbilt as somewhat equal as defensive options, but that McDaniels would clearly, you know, with his floor spacing, be a far more beneficial piece to have out there offensively. And, and, you know, that wasn't the case. Vanderbilt really worked offensively, too. And I, I asked Saunders about that after the game, just the, the decision to go with Vanderbilt and, you know, why it worked. Ryan, you start uh, Vanderbilt tonight next to Cat, um, and, and he seemed as instrumental as anybody in, in the fourth quarter there for you. Um, I guess it, it maybe seemed like Daniels was going to come back there, and, and you decided to go with uh, Vando there. What, uh, why, was he, why did you stay with him, and why was he able to have so much success? It was just a gut gut feeling, um, you know. Yeah, that that was it. And uh, and I thought that just how he was fighting, um, you know, I thought he was making things tough. But then, you know, also, you know, offensively, he was helping our spacing, um, and he was helping our spacing by how he was putting pressure on the rim. But then also how he was playing flat to the baseline. That was one of the reasons that Cat was able to get some open looks at the top of the key. Um, so uh, I liked what he was doing there. I think that second point Saunders brings up about going flat with Vando is a that's a good one, right? Like what he's describing is is the dunker spot, right? That have putting your big in that spot right next to the basket. We don't see the Wolves do that all that often. And you know, I think this is another good example of the whole impact of Cat. You can use that area now. You know, having a live body in the dunker spot when you do have Cat who you know, shoots 40 plus percent from 3 at the top. You know, that's far more valuable, and Vanderbilt is a live body. You know, this is this is how the Wolves can get away with a non-shooter on the floor. If they have a weapon in the dunker, then the you know, then the defenses can't leave them. And that's the difference between Vanderbilt and the Kogi, right? Like when they're both playing power forward, because 
When a Kogi's out there, he's not. He's playing power forward, but he's not in the dunker. When he's out there, the Wolves spread five players all out on the perimeter. And, and you know, so Okoge's out on the perimeter. He's in the corner, and this just leads to his man sagging way off. Well, you can't, you can't sag way off of Vanderbilt if he's in the dunker spot because if you leave your man, they're literally a pass away from getting a dunk. You know, when, when I was harping on the idea, you know, I, was, I was for it. I was for the idea of starting Okoge at power forward this year. You know, this is how I was hoping he was going to be used. In the dunker spot, I don't. I didn't think it was going to work. I don't think. And I didn't want a Kogi to start at power forward to be a stretch four, you know. But for one reason or the other, you know, probably because a Kogi just doesn't really know how to operate there. Um, it hasn't worked at all when he's been at power forward offensively. And you know, my hope, just I guess, bigger picture from tonight and from them seeing that work is that the Wolves go back to it. You know, not only with Vanderbilt. But with McDaniels, so use that dunker spot. You have an advantage with Cat. And I also think, like, Kogi's still going to play for this team. He's probably going to still get some minutes at power forward. Like, get him reps in that role, too, in practice at least. You know, if he's going to play, it's a good, that's a good spot to hide him offensively. And just with Cat, it works. Cat unlocks that position. He, he makes that – he doesn't just unlock it. He makes that spot valuable. Also, you know – Related to Vanderbilt and McDaniels, obviously, you know, if you watch the game or have seen, you know, clips from it by this point, like there's that last play of the game um, where Siakam blew a layup at the rim with McDaniels on him. I mean, the Wolves actually, I was talking like McDaniels didn't get in, but McDaniels did check in for the third, last 38 seconds of the game. Um, and he was out there next to Vanderbilt, and that was because Cat, Cat followed out with those 38 seconds left. And, I mean, I'm definitely... <laughs> definitely focusing on highlighting the positives of tonight's win, but like the execution at the end of the fourth in this one was bad. You know, it was, it was bad. Like it had been in previous fourth quarters and those other games that the wolves went on to lose, you know, like the Spurs game or the, the Cavs game or the thunder game. They, they caught a break in this one by Siakam missing that layup. You know, if he makes, if he makes that and the Raptors, you know, that would have tied the game. And if the Raptors would have gone on to win, I mean, we're, we're tearing up the late game execution again, you know, Cat fumbled the late rebound. Beasley stepped out of bounds. Saunders had a missed opportunity to, to to call a timeout before that Beasley before Beasley stepped out. I mean, yes, Vanderbilt did a nice job in the fourth, but it's not like he or McDaniel shut down Siakam and the Raptors down the stretch. I mean, down the stretch, the Raptors kind of gave this away. You know, the Wolves snuck away with this one in the last few minutes. The last thing I want to hit on. Um, in this whole cat helping the others theme is Ricky Rubio. I mean, Rubio had a good game tonight and prior to tonight, like Rubio has pretty clearly been having the worst year of his career. And I think this, this stat just sums it up best, you know, in, in Rubio's final year in Minnesota under Tibbs, he was averaging 1.096 points per shot attempt. And this year he's averaging 0.876. So it's like, you think about that, it's not like Rubio was some massive offensive weapon back in, you know, 2016-17 with Tibbs. It's it's just that he's been such an offensive liability that it's a massive gap there. And that's because, you know, he's shooting worse at the rim, he's shooting worse from mid-range, and he's shooting worse from three than he did any year in Utah or Phoenix. And he's also turned the ball over at a higher rate than he ever has before. And as Rubio like connects to Cat, which we're trying to you know focus on here, 
it's less it's less X's and O's specific, right? Like we can't point to a specific thing like we could with Edwards or with, with Vanderbilt. But you know, typically what Cat does is he creates those advantages. He creates that whole four on three thing or the three on two thing. And that puts his teammates in a position to be a scorer. Right? Take advantage of take advantage of the advantage. <laughs> but Ricky isn't really a scorer. So those situations aren't even big advantages for him. I think the benefit Rubio feels from playing next to Cat is just that the overall competence of the group is is raised by Cat's presence. And I think that's huge for Rubio. Like we've seen 25 games this season. Like at this stage of Rubio's career, he needs a competent environment to have any success. Like if he's out there with young guys who lack the ability to consistently execute, like Rubio is going to get exposed. He needs to be around executors. The big thing with Cat, again, it's not X's and O specific, but Cat's presence makes it easier for everyone else to execute. You know, it's still going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out with Rubio and Russell. I mean, I'm more skeptical about that than I am, you know, about the whole, like, Vanderbilt. I think the Vanderbilt thing will happen again. I think the Edwards thing will happen again. Like, the Rubio the Rubio stuff still needs to be ironed out. I mean, I think there are some, you know, more hurtful overlaps between those two. But I do think one thing that is important to highlight is the fact that Cat does like playing next to Rubio. And, you know, unlike everyone else on the team, Cat has firsthand experienced playing next to quote-unquote good Ricky Rubio. Carl, uh, Ricky had one of his best games of the year, it, it felt, tonight. And, and I was just kind of thinking as, as you're talking about, you know, Ant getting the ball a little bit more, obviously it's gonna, the offense is going to run through you more too. Like how, how tricky do you think that is for him just to be, to be a point guard there and to know that he's the point guard, but he's also got to kind of, you know, give you guys the, the offensive initiation things too. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's, the, he's the captain of our group. You know, when he goes out there, we, we follow his direction, his play calling, his uh, ability to uh, see things and everything. We, we follow. And me and Ricky have great conversations on the court how we could do every possible little thing defensively to be a better team. And offensively, you know, we have such great talent. Like we just talked about Anthony Edwards, Malik Beasley, uh, uh, Jaden. I mean, all these great talents offensively, especially Nas. Um, and all the rest of the guys on our team could score buckets. You know, we, we, we try to focus more on the defensive end. And, I mean, Ricky, Ricky had played an amazing game today. And, um, you know, Ricky may not put the stats on, on – he may not have the stats on paper that show, oh, well, he, he uh, helped our team win from a statistical point. But all the real things he does is not just off the stat sheet. And he's a winner. And when he steps on the court and he's on your team, He's proven it throughout his career. He just makes things happen, and people just win with him, you know. And he, he's just one of those guys when uh, you look at the stat sheet, never glares, he never comes off the paper and pops out at you and saying, oh, well, he had all these points and all this stuff. But when you watch the game and you're a basketball savant, you watch him play and you say, hey, that man knows how to win. And he proved it again tonight. And, uh, you know, he, he played tremendously well tonight. I'm really proud of him. Highlighting the defense there is probably, you know, a, a smart place to start if you're if you are looking for a specific way that Rubio consistently contributes to winning, you know, going forward for this team. I mean, that is an area he can be consistent at, right? Like 
defense is more bankable than his shot is. I mean, it, it, as excited as everyone is to see Cat and D'Lo and Beasley and Ant play together, I mean, we do need to acknowledge that those four guys, I mean, none of them have a pedigree of being a good defender. So if they're your top four minute getters, I mean, the rest of the Wolves need to, I mean, pretty much everyone else who's in the rotation around those four needs to be a positive on the defensive end. And Rubio theoretically could be that. Other than defense, though, I mean, to justify playing Rubio with that group or just in, in any heavy minute role, he's, he's got to shoot it. And that is an area, again, we know that Rubio has historically not been consistent. I mean, entering tonight, he's shooting 20% from three on the year. And and really, if that's going to continue, 20%, I mean, that's that makes him borderline unplayable, right, when Russell's back. You know, even with the defense, that doesn't balance it out. But if he can shoot it a bit, just average, which he has done before, you know, then it's much more justifiable to play Rubio and, and would even be profitable. Rubio did shoot over 40% on catch-and-shoot threes last year in Phoenix. I mean, that wasn't that long ago. Let's... I think it's in there in the right situation, and you know that's one that's one key reason why he helped the Suns' offense. It wasn't like he was the maestro in Phoenix. You know, he made he wasn't the maestro tonight either. I would say, you know, Ant dictated a lot of the offense, but Rubio made four threes tonight, and that was one key reason he helped the Wolves' offense tonight. You know, that clearly opens up so much for Rubio if he has a shot, and clearly it. it you know, it compounds it because it plays into his confidence. I asked Rubio about that post game. Hey Ricky, I think you shot uh, 40% on catch and shoot threes last year in, in Phoenix, and then you make four threes tonight. How, what, what do you feel um, that that changes or opens up for you in your game when, when your three point shot is, is falling for you? Oh, it helps a lot. And uh, last year I had, I think, my best year as a three point shot, and this year my worst. So I got to. I gotta understand who I am. I, I get better every day, and and really trust it. Uh, like I said, and really helped me in that area, keeping my spirit up and uh, trusting me, passing me the ball uh, every time I'm open, and that helps. Honestly, a big rotation question mark going forward is Rubio. He's kind of this fulcrum. I mean, I think we can safely assume that the full strength starting lineup is D'Lo, Beasley, Edwards, one of Vanderbilt or McDaniel's at the four, and then Cat. If it is McDaniels who does end up starting, I mean, the second unit is not going to have any shooting outside of Nas Reed because that five will be Nas, Vanderbilt, Akogi, and then one of Culver or Noel next to Rubio. I mean, even if it is Noel to add shooting or even if Wancho is in the mix to add shooting, that group is going to be talent poor on shooters. You know, Rubio, again, even just being competent there could be a long way because teams are going to be Teams are going to be letting those guys shoot. You know, they're going to be they're going to be defending the rim and allowing the kick out to the perimeter. I mean, ultimately, I, I think just as we as we think about this this roster when it's at full strength, I, I think Saunders is going to need to be intentional about you know commingling the the starters with the bench when in those second quarter minutes and those fourth quarter minutes before the starters and closers come back in. I mean, I don't know. That's just one of the things I'm most curious to see with this group once everyone is healthy, just who want, who's in the rotation and how does that rotation shake out? I mean, earlier in the year when this roster was more healthy, uh, the game games were won and lost in, you know, four or five bad bench minutes or, you know, conversely sometimes when the bench was good like that, 
obviously the starters propel a lot of it, but but when you are a team that's well, I mean, doesn't have a ton of talent, it's it's big. You know, it's big to have that. It's big to not have the bottom fall out, I guess. Both Culver and Russell are theoretically close to returning, so maybe we will, maybe we'll get our first peek at that on Tuesday against the Lakers or Wednesday against the Pacers. Um, you know, a, a look at what the Wolves' actual team is. I will be back after that game um, against the Lakers on Tuesday night. I think it would kind of be fitting if the Wolves were back at full strength uh, for a game against the Lakers, right? Because that's, I mean, that's when everything began to fall apart this year, the third game of the season when the Wolves went to play the Lakers in L.A. I mean, that was the first one that Cat missed after that game in Utah. Fingers crossed, I guess. Um, either way, I'll be back on Tuesday night. Until then, Wolves win. I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like no.